Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. And happy to uh, welcome our guest today, Dr. Barry Popkin from the University of North Carolina, where he is the Carla Smith Chambly Distinguished Professor of Global Nutrition and Director of the University's Interdisciplinary Center on Obesity, a pioneer on work um, with global nutrition issues, uh, hunger, and obesity. Barry, welcome. Thank you. Let's talk about the impact of our food choices on the environment. People are becoming more and more interested in the, in the environmental footprint they have through the way they drive, uh, through energy choices they make with things like light bulbs in their house. And you've made the point that the food choices they make are also an important player here. Can you explain a little? Yes, and in, what I want to focus on is the livestock and dairy part of, of the market. Uh, People may not realize it, first and foremost, but agriculture is a major source of carbon emissions in the world, water consumption, and energy consumption in general. But let's now talk about livestock. I don't know if you realize it, but we consume and produce more carbon emissions from livestock than all transportation in the globe. That it, We have about 18% of total carbon emissions from agriculture production and handling of beef, pork, poultry, and dairy products. That is more than cars, trucks, trains, and planes. And this is there's more involved in this carbon footprint than just the transport of the animals, but in the way they're raised and the food that goes to the That's feed. That's right. Most of it is in the raising and the production and all the things that go with that. And what's very interesting is if it would just be the environment, it would be one thing. But I don't know if people know, but half of the antibiotics consumed in the U.S. come from livestock products, from beef and milk and pork. We, have in, we are constantly giving our animals shots all the time with antibiotics. Why this becomes an issue is we're so concerned about antibiotic-resistant bacteria, which are killing literally hundreds of thousands of Americans yearly now, and we are getting it in our food supply. Why are animals given antibiotics? It's a way to speed up their growth. You can put them in crowded, dense conditions and keep them alive in conditions that are horribly unhygienic. But if you kill the antibiotics, you can do it. We actually did studies long ago on giving low-dose antibiotics to human children. And they would grow faster, but with, they'd lose their immune systems. We've destroyed the immune systems of the animals, but the unfortunate problem is the antibiotics pass into our system because they accumulate in their tissue and we eat it or drink it. So, uh, can you talk about consumption of these sort of products in the yeah, American I diet? Think, I think what we don't realize is there was a very good study done by the National Cancer Institute and the AARP. They followed a half, actually 530,000 people who, who filled out a very detailed, very complex dietary intake questionnaire and t over 10 years, they followed them to see how their health was affected. What they found was 
If you consumed about five ounces a day of red meat, and red meat included beef and pork and their definition. So pork is not a white meat when it comes to death. In total deaths, in heart disease deaths, and in cancer deaths, there was about a 30% increase in both men and women from consuming five ounces a day of the red meat compared to one ounce a day. So let's translate that. We have about 3 million deaths over a decade among men 50 to 60. We would cut that to 2 million deaths. If they cut down from a hamburger daily to one once a week. So if five ounces, let's just use that for the sake of discussion, uh, is enough to trigger these pretty serious health consequences, how much, uh, how much meat are people really eating now? They're eating, the average is two to four ounces a day, but we have 20% of all adults, men and women, consuming five ounces. But that's just the red meat, beef and pork. The really scary part was what we call processed meats pepperoni, sausage, hot dogs, bologna, all these things. If you consume one ounce a day, that's a hot dog a week, one pepperoni pizza a week, you increased your risk just like for the five ounces of red meat. So if people would go from a hot dog a a week to once a month, they would cut by 30% their life of their risk of dying over a 10-year period if they're adults, 50 to 70. Pretty powerful findings. I've heard some statistics recently about the increase in beef consumption in China. Could you talk about that? Yes, yes. Uh, first off, we have difficulty when we talk about the rising increases in China and India because we consume really 10 times as much beef and dairy products as they do. From beef, pork, poultry, and, and dairy products, we actually consume about 400 to 600 pounds a year or more, depending on the estimates out there in the U.S. and Europe and Japan. In contrast, in China, they consume a tenth of that. But if they increase a gram a day, you know, an ounce a week, that's a, there's a billion of them, so it's a lot of increase. And they are increasing their amount. That maybe within 30 years, if they kept increasing, they'll consume a fourth of what we do. So it's a big increase on the global market that's really going to affect food prices, but they consume so much less than us that we can't tell them to stop when we are the ones, we are the pigs of the world in terms of eating animal foods. So given that they're in the developed countries, there's a a high level of meat consumption, and given that it's happening in in unlikely places like China and, and the size of the populations there, the impact on the environment could be very significant. That's right. That's absolutely correct. As they increase their production, it will have the same effects it has anywhere else in the globe. Possibly more if if it's not as sustainable, if they're not as conscious of, of it. But typically they're poor and they do more. They reuse the manure. They do other things that we don't do. So they may actually use less fertilizer than we do in some countries. Uh, some people joke in the fertilizer industry that they could burn much of the land in America because it's so laden with fertilizer. We over-fertilize. Most of the world under-fertilizes. So we actually use more energy per 
head of livestock than anybody else. So if you were a, a global health official, let's say, what kind of things might be done to help reverse this trend? Well, it's part. it begins with the subsidies of agricultural products, and we have focused all our energy, the U.S. government, the EEU, the European government, the World Bank, the regional banks. We focus on subsidizing and promoting livestock production. We need to focus on bean production and fruit and vegetable and healthy products and that have a small global footprint in terms of energy, but also are healthier for people, and we're not. And it's a problem. We're really struggling with this. There are different groups of professionals interested in what at least three different major views of food. There's groups of people concerned about hunger, another group concerned about obesity, and then yet another concerned about sustainability issues. And I've often thought, and I think you've made a persuasive case, that if these groups talk to each other and find out that there's a common goal that is healthy food raised sustainably, that you benefit in all three domains. Is that a character? It's pretty close to being the truth. If there are a couple cases when there's a conflict, when you're a infant in the developing world, you have what we call weanling malnutrition. You don't get enough energy along with the, the supplements you're given once you be stopped breastfeeding. And one of the solutions we've often used is to give them a little vegetable oil, or if we could get them to have a little tiny bit of, of, of meat, or of course it could equally be a bean or a protein dish, they would grow fine. So the, pro, the, the policies could be on a protein dish like a, a bean, or they could be on animal foods and, and oils, which aren't as healthy. And that, right now, uh, is probably about the only conflict. Otherwise, healthy food will help everyone. This issue of the impact on the environment of the food choices that we make as individuals and as nations and as a world is becoming increasingly prominent in the eyes of the public. But still, we need champions like you to help make that point. So I'm grateful for the, the fine writing you've done in speaking on that issue. So thank you for joining us. My today. pleasure. Thank you very much. So our guest today was Dr. Barry Popkin, Carla Smith-Chambly Distinguished Professor of Global Nutrition at the University of North Carolina and author of a book called The World is Fat. Uh, please visit the Rudd Center website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources, including a list of the other excellent podcasts that we've recorded. Thank you. The podcast that we recorded. Thank you.